and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Frida Odesson, VP of US Sales at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. So thank you, Gabrielle, for coming on today's uh, podcast episode. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm super excited. So like, why don't you introduce yourself to the listener to uh, kick things off? Yes. So um, hi, everyone. My name is Gabrielle Blackwell, or I go by GB as well. I'm a sales development manager at CultureAmp. Uh, I've been managing outbound sales development teams since dinosaurs roamed the earth. It's been a very long time. Um, so I've worked at companies like Gong, Airtable, of course, now at Culture Amp. Um, I also have a content brand called The One-on-One. So sharing out uh, tips and tactics on a weekly basis for frontline sales managers. And I'm living in Austin, Texas with my two puppies. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to dig into like all of that uh, with you. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the one-on-one uh, newsletter, your time at Gong, yep. uh, all the good stuff. Um, but before we do that, um, I always ask every guest on the on the podcast, like, what does redefining outbound mean to you? Mm, so, I'll. Uh, I think the best way that I know how to talk about outbound right now is the way that I talk about outbound with my team. I think once upon a time reps and organizations could simply say, Hey, like use, use these templated sequences, um, hit after these kinds of personas, get as many activities in as you possibly can. And this is what's going to help us be successful when now with outbound, what's really essential for being successful with it is really having, um, a strong grasp on book management and building strategic narratives and, making sure that we have the right amount of research. And so it really is equipping like, outbound reps with the ability to take research, turn that in, uh, convert that with business acumen, and then have something really relevant to reach out to folks. So I think it, it has to be a lot more strategic and not so like just transactional anymore. So that to me is kind of, that's the redefinition of outbound that I believe needs to happen and, and has been happening. Yep. So moving from sort of a numbers game to a more strategic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, let's go down the memory lane a little bit. Maybe to when dinosaurs still roam the earth. No. I don't know. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> when you were a sales development manager at Gong. Yes. Um, I know you took over a low performing, I think the, the lowest performing team there and turned it around to be the top performing team, which is very impressive. Uh, love to hear about more about that. Like, how did you do that? What did you focus on in order to make that happen? Yeah, yeah. I have um, I have this weird thing where I go into organizations and I go into the teams that are the lowest performing and I'm like, this is where I'm going to work some magic. So uh, yeah, I had a leader way back when, when I started in sales and he had said, you know, go into the places that are the burning buildings, the decaying places and find a way to be successful. And that's going to be really helpful for your career. So I've really taken that advice to heart. But um, so when I started, starting at Gong, but I mean, this is pretty much every company that I've started at having an underperforming team. I think the first thing I really want to do is like start to identify what is the root cause of the underperformance. And this could be anything from, is it like a, a process thing? Is it a systems and tools and technology thing? Is it an enablement and coaching thing? Um, and there's always a question of like, all right, or, or is it like a talent kind of thing? Like, are we not do we not have a great awareness of what it takes to be successful in the role? So therefore we don't know exactly who we need to come on board 
who can actually be successful. So for me, when I started at Gong, it was really starting to think about, okay, here are all the areas that I can look at and let me just figure out which levers to pull. So when I first started, it really was a matter of there had been a lot of changes going on within the segment that I was in. There wasn't focused leadership. I think you had like one manager who was managing 20 people. So people aren't getting the coaching they need. They're not getting the enablement they need. Um, and they might not actually have somebody who's looking out for them and advocating for them. I think one of the most important things, especially for sales development reps, is to have a leader and to have a manager who they feel like cares about them. So like that was one part of it. There's a second part of coming in with some level of expertise on what it takes to be successful in outbound. So really making sure that we're enabling our teams to be successful. So when I came in in October, we finished our number at, I think, 67%. By December, uh, my team... Um, in our segment, the segment that I was in, we were the top performing team, top performing segment at 114%. And some of the stuff was just like little tiny changes, like here are sequences that you can use that are actually going to support you. Here's talk tracks that you can use as well. Here's how you like prioritize your book of business. And we're going to have kind of standardized and consistent one-on-ones. So that, that was some of that was a little bit of the approach there for kind of turning things around in a short order. There was more to that experience at Gong of we lots of changes that impacted performance and needing to turn around the team a second time, which took a different muscle. But um, that was a little bit for for how we did that in the first few months at Kong. Yeah, turning it around the team can be very satisfying um, and fun, but obviously also like a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And sometimes it's um, like I think about my experience at Culture Amp now. It's been like it's been like six months. Like so when I came in, I, I came in in December. And so the team I inherited finished at about 42% of their number for Q4. Um, And so, you know, coming into Q1, it's like, all right, we get up to 71%. It's great, but we still, there's a little, there's a lot of changes that still need to happen. We finished Q2 about 78%, like, okay, cool. And and now we're pacing above 100% or we're pacing at 100% right now for my team. So still early in the quarter, but like, it's like, all right, cool. I've had reps on my team who hardly hardly passed last quarter who are now over have have over 50 percent attainment we're only in the first month of the quarter so it's a little by little yeah that's amazing um so i know one thing that you uh mentioned was um the ratio like the rep to manager ratio yeah so could you expand on this a little bit more like what's the ideal ratio and like why is this so important so uh i believe the perfect ratio is uh one manager for every six reps like six is the perfect number um i've i've managed seven people eight people i've managed 12 people all at once and it's just like it's like i don't know why six is such a such a sweet spot um why i think this is really important there's there's two parts to this there's the importance for the for the reps there's also the importance for the manager too so um, reps, and it all depends on who you're managing as well, but I'd say for sales development reps, especially, um, mm-hmm. there are folks who are early on in career, which to me, the the extra things that we, it's like, we need to teach professionalism. We have to teach the, the practice, the role of sales development. We're also teaching confidence within 
being a, a, a professional in this workspace too. So that requires a lot of hands-on time the majority of the time. So it's not just our one-on-ones that we're having, but it's also all the async communications that are there as well. So th- there's something really important about a manager being available to people outside of those one-to-one times. Um, but also for the manager, there's the like, all right, there's time that managers need to prepare to be present and to be impactful for their rep. So like if I'm coming into a one-on-one and we're talking about uh, numbers, let's say, I wanna make sure that I have a clear understanding of what's going on in my rep's business so that I can offer up the most appropriate insights and advice. Also, when we're coming into a coaching and development or skills development one-on-one, I wanna make sure that I actually understand like what's going on in my rep's book of business or what's going on in their approach so that I can coach effectively and we're not just guessing. There's also all the other work that I need to do, right? So whether it's, all right, I need to go and manage um, manage up or manage out for resources my team needs. There might be projects that I have to complete as well. There's calls that I want to listen to, the times I want to shadow my reps. There's so many things. So if I have, if I have like too many reps, the reps don't get the time that they deserve from their manager. But also secondly, um, I as a manager, I'm not going to have the bandwidth to really be able to be present and I risk burning out. If I'm not doing great, my team risks not doing great either. Yeah. Yeah. Really good insights. So another thing that I think you implemented at, at Gong was uh, moving away from sort of the um, one-to-one pairing model into the round-robbing approach yeah. for AEs and BDRs. Yes. Uh, tell me more about this. Like what, what led to that change? The honest truth <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> Yes, this is the podcast where we say the honest truth. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, so some of this is, uh, there's some things that I was not privy to as to like the why behind it. But mm-hmm. what I do, see, but I, I can I can answer this question from like what I've observed, like not just at Gong, but also at Airtable and a little bit of my experience here at Culture Amp is, um, I think some of the challenges that can happen is there are, like as an SDR leader specifically, uh, if you have, a, if you're partnered up with a sales leader who is really invested in partnership between the AEs and the SDRs, then we're going to look for ways for there to be shared realities. Now, if you are partnering with a sales leader who is very much about, hey, I want my AEs to be self-sufficient. And I actually don't, they don't prioritize having the partnership between SDRs and AEs, then you're going to, it's going to be different. So I think mm-hmm. for, um, and it's, again, it's not just Gong, but I think there's a, a number of different organizations, whether it's, hey, a sales leader it looks down on the sales development rep position, or it can be, they're just coming from a different school of thought. And they're saying, hey, like AE should be, um, they should be full cycle. And whatever we get from SDRs is whatever we get from SDRs. There's also just the economic times of like, I think sometimes organizations just say, we need everybody all hands on deck prospecting. And so we're going to create incentives as well for AEs to go and prospect and outbound. And so if you have incentives for AEs to have a self-sourced pipeline generation quota, and then you also have SDRs having the same and they're sharing those resources, that causes a lot of internal thrashing. So to mitigate the risk associated with internal thrashing, we can start to move away and have different books of business instead. Yep. Yeah. Um, so let's say I actually asked this question to Chris Orlov when he was on the podcast. Uh, so I'm curious to hear your response. Like 
let's say you took over the same team at Gong today um, in this current economic climate too, like what would you do differently? Ooh. Um, it was such a different time because like when I was at Gong, I mean, people were buying technology. They, they just had money, like burn it. Like just, it was like they just burning holes in their pocket. Really. They were just ready to buy things. It's tough. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I do know, I do know what it's like to lead a team. Like, so again, where I go, wherever I go, when I join an organization, you can, you can bet money on I'm inheriting a very low team and my job is to turn it around. So I think, th- I just think that things are much different than what they used to be. Like we're in this world where we've, like when I was at Gong, we were fully remote and COVID is weird and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And then you also have a bunch of people who are moving from different industries into sales as well, like coming from the service industry, coming from teaching professions. So it's just very, very different than right now. Um, but I think like right now it's much more about like from an SDR standpoint, there's still things that are really important. You have to make sure that you actually understand what does it take to be successful as an outbound rep at your organization. And that means being really honest about what you can deliver to your people in terms of onboarding, coaching, and skills development. Um, but it means also being really honest about what you cannot give and making sure that you're aligning your your talent acquisition practices to the reality of things and not what you wish it would be. Um, I think that the next piece of this is also there needs to be a, a big importance on team building and, um, and building relationships with your folks and relationships between them. There has to be a real great sense of connection and belonging on teams. And, and let's say if you're at a company like Gong, there could be this piece around folks joining an organization and they really want to buy, they really bought into a brand of the company and you have to fulfill that like brand longing once you're actually inside of the organization too. So it's a big cultural focus. And I think, you know, the other pieces of this is I, I really do believe managers uh, need to get really curious about how they, be, they can become better prospectors. And it doesn't mean they need to be the absolute best, right? But they need to be able to coach their teams effectively. And that requires having some level of subject matter expertise in what their SDRs are doing. And I think the last piece is just, you have to advocate for your people as much as possible. There are decisions that are being made in higher levels and other parts of the organization that are going to have downstream impacts on your team. And if you are not doing the work to keep attuned to those conversations, you always risk something coming down that actually thwarts your team's productivity, right? So sometimes you you cannot be the yes person all the time. You always you always need to be advocating um, for your folks. Yep, and I think when they feel like they have a leader that's advocating for them, they're gonna to want to do a good job for you in return, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really is about having like really clear expectations and being really. Tra- I think you know being really transparent. Like being transparent is kind of a radical thing to be in mm-hmm. in a corporate setting so you know when people feel like hey you know hey frida shows up on monday the frida that shows up on monday is the same frida that shows up on tuesday wednesday thursday friday like i'm not guessing as to who i'm getting and i know that frida's going to be honest with me and i know that you know frida's going to do her absolute best um and that she and so she expects the best from me too and that's the way it goes 
expectations are clear for both sides. We give each other feedback, we move forward. That's what really gets people bought in and going, okay, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what's going on. Or sometimes it doesn't really matter what's going on. I can at least know that when I'm working with my manager, I'm safe. Yeah. Right? We'll need to perform, but like, I don't, I don't have to worry. Like they're going to throw me under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It takes away a lot of that stress. Otherwise that mm-hmm. reps spend their time and energy on. Definitely. Um, Cool. Awesome. So moving away from Gong a little bit, like I want to talk more specifically around like the current era of outbound, like starting with hiring, like what are some qualities, traits, characteristics that you're looking for when you hire SDRs? Yeah. So I got this advice from uh, a mentor of mine, Kevin Dorsey, and um, he had recommended that I read this book called Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again. And it was all about drive. So in this book, they, they say that there's kind of three categories that inform drive. And it's one, there's the need to achieve or the need to, uh, atta- the need for high attainment. Um, there is uh, a level of like healthy competition. They take, they, th- they take thrill in competition, healthy competition. And then there's an optimism. There's a deep seated belief in themselves. So like when I'm, when I'm looking for folks, um, and I'm interviewing folks, like that's the first thing that I need to, I want to make sure of is like, are these people who are going to be driven? Um, because the amount of time that it takes to coach and reinforce drive and the way that our ramping schedule works is like, it's not going to work out very well. So I really want to look for people who have these characteristics of like, all right, they show that they're driven in many different places, whether it's school, sports, uh, work, um, community, whatever else it is. So that's the first thing that I really want to look for. I think the next thing I really want to understand is like, do they have a really strong quote unquote why? And so this to me is more about like, is is this like a relevant experience for them? So I want to understand like, how did they, how did they decide to interview at this company and why this role specifically? And how does it tie to their like short, mid and long-term goals? If someone doesn't have a really clear why, I'm like, okay, if you're not even taking the time to research a company that you're interviewing at and come up with like a strategic narrative, I can't trust that you're going to do that when you actually get in seat and go after our prospects. So like, that's another key piece of it. And then the other things that I'm really looking for, it's more like the coachability. Like uh, people don't need to be perfect, but I'm like, I'm going to coach. And so as long as people are open-minded, willing to receive feedback, uh, and are eager to receive feedback, are able to, like, you know, implement it. They're asking questions. There's that eagerness there to grow. I think that's the, the underscore coachability. I'm like, cool. I really, I really like this. So, you know, I think there's, there's the drive, right? There's the, the research, there's the relevance, and there's that coachability kind of open-mindedness or that longing to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that actually brings me to my next question. Uh, speaking of coachability, like how do you approach coaching and training for your team? Yes. So, um, there's, so I'll I'll say, I'll start off with this. I, uh, I always like to, I think it's really important to have some kind of like yardstick or or like some kind of, yeah, some kind of standards for kind of meeting expectations below expectations. Like you need to have really clear expectations with your reps. And when it comes to like coaching and training or what I think about development, the yardstick for me is our competencies. So I, I, I have a list of probably like 10 to 12 and it's everything from like calls to copy, time management and organization, uh, partner, you know, collaboration, those kinds of things. But like, what are the kinds of competencies or skills, categories of skills needed to be successful in the role? Some people are going to have strengths in certain areas. 
uh, other people are going to have strengths in other areas. So the first thing is just, we'll just map it out of like, all right, what is, what are things that you're really great at today? We'll lean on those for the moment and we can use data to identify what those strengths are as well. Um, and then we also want to look at, okay, well, for you to be able to hit your goals, both performance and development goals, what's one thing that might be holding you back that if you unlock that, it opens up a lot more opportunities for you. And so that's, and that's going to be the one thing that really focus on. So um, I think the biggest thing first is you want to make sure that you have some kind of competencies that like you kind of hold everybody to that is specific to the role that these people are in. Then you want to figure out like, okay, well, what are the things that people can lean on really well? It's a strength of the door there's wonderful, but what are the areas that might hold them back? Those become mm-hmm. our coaching and development areas that we're going to, we're going to focus on until we both the rep and myself really feel really confident with them. And then how we actually like, what does that mean in terms of how do we operationalize that? Very practically speaking, I do two one-on-ones a week with my reps or per rep. So on Mondays, we're going over a little bit of numbers and we're setting goals for the week. And then we talk about our plan, the plan for the week. So if it's like, Hey, Hey GB, I'm pacing at 89% as of right now. Um, what I need to do this week to get to hundred is I need to book three meetings. Like, here's how I'm going to go about booking my three meetings. Wonderful. Like, all right, cool. What's the one thing that can get in the way? All right. Hey, I'm actually having a lot of problems with this one objection over here. Cool. We are going to practice that objection in the next one-on-one. And so for the next one-on-one, the coaching and skills development, we're going to focus on that one thing. They might be like, Hey, please send me, um, a couple emails where you're getting that objection and how you responded. Also tag me in a couple calls where you've gotten this objection and you didn't hand, and you, and you struggled and didn't overcome it. And then when we get in, we'll coach on that and we'll do role play. Right. And then now I want you to tag me in all the calls that you have where you're handling that objection. And we'll just do that on a flywheel until that person overcomes it or it's no longer relevant to their business. So you take a very like one-on-one approach in terms of coaching and training. Yes. So there's things that we're doing on a team basis as well. Like um, I think it's like, right. One of the best ways to learn is from your peers. And so for creating space for people to share. So if I know that um, rep one on my team is really, really good at handling this objection, then let's say uh, when we have a, uh, so I do call reviews with my team every Wednesday and so it's like, hey, hey, team, I'm noticing that we're all struggling with this one objection. It's showing up in 50% of our calls, right? Let's play a call from Anna Rose over here where she handles the objection really well. Let's break it down. Let's talk about what's going on here. All right, now maybe we practice this together, right? Or, hey, how, hey y'all, how can, how, how can you say this in your own words to handle that objection? So that could be something. Um, so we have, so we have like a, we actually do like a, a Monday kickoff where there's a pro, like a common problem that you typically see in SDR world. And I'll ask the team just like, Hey, like here's, here's the problem of the week, break out into groups for seven minutes, brainstorm, come back. And so then we all of a sudden have kind of like a playbook for overcoming that, that problem. Wednesday call reviews, right? I've already shared about that. Thursdays is a pro, called prospecting power half hour. And so um, it's more about like, all right, we've got an account um, or it could be like, Hey, like, we, let's open up sales nav and let's talk about, Hey, how do we find some wins in our book of business? It could start like that. Or it could be, all right, Frida has an account or a person she really wants to go after hasn't been, that person hasn't been responsive, haven't found a way in let's brainstorm. Like how would we all go about this? Um, and then Fridays is more about like what's going well, what's not. 
And then what are you looking forward to trying out next week? So like, how do we like stimulate some ideas? And also that gives people an opportunity to hear like, oh, I heard that Tyler is having a lot of success on LinkedIn. That's something I haven't tried yet. So now let me start to lean in a little bit more. I'll ping Tyler and say, hey, Tyler, what, what are you doing that's working? And now I can try that out. And so that that becomes our kind of team flywheel for coaching and development too. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, how do you keep your reps motivated in the long term? In the long term? Um, ooh, good question. I will say all of it is very individual. Um, so I, I think, but I'll say this. Um, so I'm not going on a full tangent. One of the best resources I've ever come across as a manager is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And the, the main point is that you can challenge people professionally and still care about them personally. And so I think if you are doing those two things and there's, you know, tactics that you can take for both of those. I think this is really what keeps people engaged and keeps them motivated. If I'm only challenging somebody and I don't care about them, I'm an asshole. And they're going to go, GB's an asshole and I don't like her. And I'm like, I'm helping you do your job better. It's like, yeah, but it's insincere. Um, if I care about somebody, but I'm not challenging them, they're going to go, okay, well, GB's really nice, but she's really ineffective as a manager. Like, and if someone's in an ineffective manner, okay, how can I trust that this is somebody who's going to help me get better at my job, who's going to advocate for me for opportunities that I want, right? And who can help me get better just in general. I can't, so now I'm not a trustworthy manager. If I'm not doing either one of them, I should probably be let go as a manager. So, um, you know, I th- so I think the, the, the most important piece is you, you really start to build relationships up with your folks. You understand what's important to them. You check on them during the day. That's that care personally. If you see that they're off, right? You might just, hey, Frida, I just want to, are you okay? You good? How's it going? Right? Like just, you know, just like, just acknowledging them and recognizing them and being a real person with them, um, holding space for them when like work talk is not, it's, they can't do it. Right. It's just like, Hey GB, like there's some real stuff that happened in my life. All right, cool. We'll drop the agenda and I'm just going to hold space for you. But challenging personally is also meaning like, Hey, like I noticed that you've been in the slumps for a couple weeks now and it's showing up in your numbers. Like I want to hold space for you, but I also want to make sure that work is not another source of stress and overwhelm too, right? Or it's like, hey, I'm noticing, like, I know you can do better. And I feel like how you're showing up right now is you selling yourself short. What do you think? Right? So there's, that's, that's that challenging piece of things. And, but altogether, what you really do is you show that you're invested personally in your people. And so like, if people see like, oh man, here's GB and she's, she's doing, she's given a hundred, a hundred percent to me, like typically if you've, if you've brought on like really solid people and you've been doing this for a while, um, people will go, doesn't really matter if I'm feeling like really low, GB's got ultimate confidence in me. So like, maybe I can use some of her confidence to help spur me on. I think a lot of this goes back to that six to one ratio, right? To enable managers to like pay that individual attention to their reps and give them that space and and just be present. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easier when you're able, if you have a small team, cause it's also um, there's, there's an impact to the team dynamics as well. Like 
when you're able to really like take the time to build up those uh, when I say intimate, like I'm not talking about physical intimacy, right? It's like, like there's a close proximity, there's a trust that's built, there's a connection that's there. Like you're really able to invest in a relationship for the purpose of investing in like somebody's, perf- how they perform in their role. Like if you have six, like it's really, I don't want to say manageable, but it's just, it's a lot easier. It's a lot more fluid. When you're getting into 10, 12 people, it's really hard to build that level of like intimacy with each person on your team. So there's maybe some people who've been on your team for like three or four months when you had a small team and then you've got the people who came on board and they're going to feel like the redheaded stepchild because they're like, wow, you don't, you don't, you don't pay. It's so like, I'm not getting what they got. And you're like, not because I don't want you to. It's just, I got all these children. I'm exhausted. <laughs> so, you know, so, it, it, you, so you really want to try your best to, create the conditions where everybody feels like they have a very fulfilling relationship with you as a manager. Cool. Uh, all right. We have, we have arrived at the final question. Um, tell me about your one-on-one newsletter. Yes. Like, we should sign up. You should sign up. All right. The one-on-one right. newsletter. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is my, like, I love it. I absolutely love it. It is my passion project. And so here, here's my thought is, um, so I've, I've been managing for about five, six years now. And I feel like it took me three years to really figure out what I was doing. I was like, all right, I'm on a three, I was on a three-year ramp as a manager. And I kind of was thinking to myself, like, why is that? Like, why did it take managers like forever to figure out what's going on. And uh, there's some stat that I saw that said that the average age of a first time manager is 30 years old. The average age of the first time somebody goes through management training is 42 years old. So there's like 12 years. Yeah. There's a 12 year gap between like, like, all right, I'm in this role. And when I actually learn what I need to do to be successful in this role. And there's also like all the, the lived experience of having, you know, some managers who are, much better than others and having some managers where I'm like, wow, you should never lead people ever again. So my, I think my goal, like what I really, what I've, what I've been trying to do and what the one-on-one allows me to do even more is like, I think there has to be a better model of leadership and management in sales, but like probably just in general. And, um, I know I've been on my own like self learning journey over the past few years and like speaking to leaders and managers who I respect a lot and who have built really incredible legacies where they're also inspiring the next generation of leadership too. So I'm like, all right, cool. I've got my own experiences. I've got my mentor's advice, my advisor's advice. I've gone, you know, I'm just ingesting all this information, been able to try it out. And now I feel like I have a really solid point of view on things that can be really helpful for folks who are also frontline leaders. So yeah, goes out on Thursdays, every, every Thursday. Yeah. Very nice. Everyone should sign up. Please do. It's great. Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Gabrielle. Yeah. Thank you, you, Frida. Thank you for having me.